This is the top dog, Jonah. And I'm here to tell you, if you listen to podcasts, you need to listen to the new podcast by Brian Hebner. Reffing it up. Make sure you're listening. This is Impact World Champion Moose. And make sure you're listening to Reffing It Up with Brian Hebner. What's going on, everybody? I'm Tom Hannafin. He's the drama king, Matthew Raywall. And I got a question for you. You like podcasts? Yeah, of course. Okay, I got a new one that you've got to check out. It's called the Reffing It Up podcast, hosted by our buddy Brian Hefner. That's right. Takes you through all kinds of stories yesterday and today. Stars of all pro wrestling. It's a great, great listen. You got to check it out. Wherever you get your podcast, the Reffing It Up podcast, don't miss it. Howdy, folks. Double J here. That's right. That's T. That's double J, Jeff Jarrett. Tune in here to Reffin' It Up with my pals, RJ and Brian Hebner. It's really a great podcast. Tune in every Wednesday morning when it drops. Check them out on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. And, man, this episode is a good one. I listen to it every week. Stay tuned, guys. Reffin' It Up with RJ and Brian. WWE to TNA by way of the NWA. It is time for Reffing It Up with current Impact referee Brian Hebner. A great episode is right around the corner, so we hope you are ready for the one, two, three. Welcome to episode two of Reffing It Up with Brian Hebner. I am the man with the magic voice, RJ. He is the man in the stripes, Mr. Brian Hebner. Brian, what's up, man? Oh, not a lot, man. Just a rainy, gloomy day here in Richmond. Uh, So maybe I can bright myself up doing this. Uh, I can't believe the first one came off pretty good. And um, I really do want everybody to uh, submit, you know, anything positive, anything negative and um, and just let us know how you feel about our first episode. And I'm happy and excited to move on to number two. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of a uh, lot of good things. We got some constructive criticism as well. So we'll take that. We'll take everything into account, Brian. That's for sure. We're looking to uh, to the moon, so to speak. But we can do. We, <laughs> we started off hot with with, with Sting last week. We're going to keep the ball rolling here with a guy that really he's going in the Hall of Fame this week for the uh, for the WWE Hall of Fame is the Undertaker. You had a lot of a lot of history with him. Uh, and we're going to be going over that today in uh, in a little bit with the match we're going to be going over the our, uh, Unforgiven 2002 main event. But before that, we'll get started from the beginning. You know, long historical career began in 87 World Class Championship Wrestling. Uh, being as close to the business as you were between with your dad and your uncle and whatnot, did you have any run-ins with, with the undertaker when he was me, Mark Callis there in the, uh, in the late eighties, early nineties? No, I, I didn't. Um, uh, basically the, the relationship with me and the undertaker, uh, started when I came to be a, well, I, no, I can't say that either. Just when I was 
in the WWE starting to be pushed into the WWF at that time. Um, Very, very, very good friends with my dad. Um, So, but no, between that and between his run to, from Mark, you know, not to Undertaker and on, no, I didn't have any experiences with him. Yeah, because a lot of that, he was there over there, mean Mark Hells in uh, world class in uh, as well as with WCW there when he was, he was with uh, Paul Heyman there for a little bit too. So he's always yeah. had that, uh, that, that manager behind him too, whether it be Paul, Paul Lee or whether it be Paul Bearer. You got obviously knew, knew him later on, but through the nineties, were you, going to to events when seeing him earlier on or i know you mentioned you didn't see him until later but did you have any interactions right when he became the dead man um yeah very, uh, once again very little but um you know you have to remember i was so young and um you know i would be in my dad's suitcase you know and uh uh get to meet all these guys you know and he, obviously he was one of those so yeah i got to meet him backstage but you have to remember like th- these guys you know for me as a kid i mean they may have given me a little more special attention because i was already having their son but um you know i know how it is as well when people bring kids you know you you kind of like just do what you got to do to be nice and you got a you know busy day and you got things to do and so it's not as important as it is you know what most people would think if that, if that makes any sense at all yeah so he would then come in 90 91 there as the undertaker one of those we will call it a gimmick is his gimmick the undertaker is that the best gimmick of all time in your opinion i i can't match anything to it um i mean it's got to be i mean the most clever unique um i i just you know rattling off my mind right now i can't think of anything that's been better longevity i mean and just he recreated it, did so many different things with it. Uh, no, I, I really don't think there was a better gimmick than that. I mean, I really have to say, I, ultimately, that might be the best gimmick ever in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we, we'd see him reinvent himself time and time and time again, whether it be the American Badass the here in 2000s going up to about 2004 when the dead man came back at WrestleMania 20. Uh, obviously, you've seen the American Badass. We'll talk about that, like I said, in a little bit. But was the American badass? Was he, how did, did you know anything about that character coming back or was it just a shock to you as everybody else? No, it was a shock to me too. I, I never, I never knew it was coming. Um, and I really did like that part of him. Um, it was different. He could be different. He didn't have to be uh, the robotic, you know, the taker, the undertaker figure. Um, so he got to be expressive with his emotions, feelings, um, uh, anger, um, I thought it would just gave him a, you know, a time where he could just be Mark, you know? Right. Yeah. Because that's been a lot of like, you see a lot of these stories online or a lot of these other shows. Oh, American badass. was more of, you know, the undertaker Mark, Mark Cal- or Mark Calloway than it was anything else. Looking forward to the hall of fame going in here. Are we going to see, Mark Calloway, or you think we're going to see parts of the undertaker as well? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if um, he came out as the undertaker. Uh, This would be my great idea. Put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That he came out as the undertaker and basically stripped it off and became Mark. 
yeah. and accepted that award. And um, because, you know, he's going to talk. So, you know, he's going to say, you know, what he wants to say, which he can say whatever the hell he wants to say. And um, it's not obviously not going to be in Taker character. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to handle that. It'd be weird or kind of cool if he wore a mask, you know, and because he used to wear a mask at some point and mm-hmm. would able to take that hat off, pull that mask off at some point and then be Mark. That would be awesome. But I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, because we're seeing Vince induct him too. So that doesn't, he doesn't have, hasn't done that very often. Cause I think I'm trying to remember, but he was the only thing that he did that for the other one was I forgot who he was doing it for. He did it for somebody else too. Was it Brett? No, I don't think it was Brett. I, I'd have to Google it to be sure, but I know he did it. He's only done it like twice, twice, including The Undertaker. But uh, like I said, 2004, he comes back, faces his brother yet again, Kane, at two, in uh, WrestleMania 20 as a dead man. That buildup, the storyline, it's one of those things that her production is unmatched, I think, throughout history with the WWE, WWF. When we, did you ever get, when you were in the ring with him, we'll get to the, obviously get to that too, but were you ever just like frozen there and just stuck in time when his entrance was coming? Yeah. Um, I remember the first, um, one of the first times I worked with him, I don't remember who it was with, uh, but just with him, it was a house show. And, um, you know, I've heard big pops and stuff like that, but, um, the building went dark and it had that lightning on the on the Tron. We didn't have a huge Tron like a TV, but we had a, a, a some sort of a Tron. Um, and then those uh, the lightning strikes went, and um, the place came unglued. And I literally had chill bumps starting from my fingertips all the way through my body and became numb. Um, and then when he got into the ring, and then the lights came up, um, I, I, I was in awe. I was just in awe. I literally had to like, and I know people wouldn't believe me, but I mean, uh, I, I literally had to like go blah, 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 and just, just wake up again and like make sure that I was, you know, Brian Hebner, the referee and not Brian Hebner, the mark, you know what I mean? And, uh, Oh, it was, it, it was something and I've seen some big, huge ovations and I mean, and it don't stop. It's the, all the way to the ring. You know what I mean? Like you, you get a big pop for some of these guys and then it just kind of dies on the way to the ring. This just continues and continues and continues and then it kind of settles and then finally the lights come on and then it's all over again. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. If you were never treated to watch him live, it's, uh, it's something you really, really missed. You can go back and watch, but it's, it's just not the same as being there. That environment and what you feel inside is just absolutely amazing. And that's what makes him such an amazing character. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Wonderful. Yeah, my, my wife actually saw me the first time I saw The Undertaker at uh, 2004 Survivor Series. And she was there with me. And she's like, she's trying to poke me and stuff. To, hey, stop yeah. getting out of your trance. I'm like, <laughs> I, it's, so, it's so damn cool, though. Uh, you know, but something else that we really got to know about The Undertaker was that respect that he had backstage. The respect he had yeah. in the ring, even, too. What do, you, what do you think was should be credited for that. Was it just something that you think he learned through all his history starting in the, in the territories leading up to the, to the uh, WWF or do you think it's something he learned in the, in the WWF? I think it was something he earned. Um, and I think it was because of his hard work, um, his passion um, that it was unmatched, um, just unmatched. He had uh, ring savvy ring awareness. Um, he was, open to conversation. 
Um, he was also an intimidating figure. Um, and I don't mean in a bad way. Um, he just, he's a ginormous man. Um, he has a look that's just something you're not going to see going to a grocery store or going to pumping gas. Um, Mark was Mark. I mean, and when you saw him, he had a strong facial features and just a, just a big, big, um, terrifying looking guy, man. Um, and he was always mostly serious. And, and when you have a locker room with the size of this, just like in football or baseball, there has to be a team leader nominated because then things just go everywhere. Um, and he just kept it rooted and he was always respectful, but he was always demanding and he knew what he wanted out of his locker room. He got it. Um, and he just was just the prototypical, uh, I guess, definition of a leader. Um, he just, he, he just knew what he was doing, knew how he wanted to do it and demanded the respect without demanding it, just got it. And it was just awesome. And I can tell you right now that the locker room has changed tremendously since he's left and I'm not there anymore, but I can just tell you right now, I remember when he was off and things like that, it it just is, it's like the school teacher being gone and bringing the substitute. Um, Now they've probably gotten a a real teacher in there at some point. Uh, But, but what I'm saying is you miss that when you miss him as well, just as far as just being in the ring, him in the locker room is also what's being very, very missed. And I'm sure that that's what a lot of people will tell you. Yeah. A lot of those backstage stories we've heard of people closer to the, closer to the company, close to taker, just those stories of that respect that we've, we've, we've seen. Have you ever seen that firsthand? Have you been, let me put it this way. Have you ever been taken to wrestlers court or is that more of kind of something with the boys? No, you, you could be a cameraman and go to wrestling score. Uh, <laughs> so there, there's, there's no uh, saving grace on that. If you're in the company and you do something or whatever, you can go. Um, but no, I'm, I'm privileged to say I was never, I was never on the stand. I've been to several wrestling scores, but I was never on the stand. Now, do you have any interesting stories that you can talk about with the taker back backstage before we get uh, uh, some other things? Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you something individually, just to give you a, uh, you know, kind of a background of the way things worked. So um, I was having some issues with um, Mike Kyoto. All right. Nothing bad. I think, you know, now that years have gone and all that, it was about the competitive portion of it, wanting to be better, both of us. So pushing each other, um, striving to be better than the other. So it was friendly competition that just turned into, well, whatever, you're a piece of shit. No, you're a piece of shit kind of thing. Um And then it came down to where, you know, there was some rumblings with him, with some of the other people, whatever. So long story short, I come to Taker and I had mentioned him the the issues and the problems that we were having. And the next day, the next day, it was all fixed, all squashed. Uh, There were a couple of guys that came and and it doesn't matter. Once again, me and Kyoto are fine. I, I really respect him and everything he's done. So I never want people to think that I'm, talking bad on him. I really would love to actually see him again someday and just give him a a brother hug and tell him the competition was great because he actually pushed me to be better, you know, the the better referee that I am now. Um, But so what we ended up doing was Taker said that I was going to be the lead man on SmackDown and they moved Kyoto to Raw. And that's what Taker did on his own. Um, There were 
quite a few guys that stepped up in my behalf, which I was honored and privileged. And uh, this is what the team wanted. Um, so that's the stuff that he would do. And it could go the other way. You could come to him with a stupid problem. The problem be you. And, and, and then that's not good. You know what I mean? For you. So I just wanted to nip it in the bud because I was tired of, you know, the back and forth. Um, I would get a match. He'd be mad. He'd get a match. I'd be mad. You know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So in 2014, I don't know how cl- you weren't close to that, but you uh, ended up losing a streak, you know, that WrestleMania streak that we saw. He lost it there to Lesnar in 14. Yeah. It's been a discussion amongst wrestling fans, people in the business for ever. Do you, in your opinion, do you think that Undertaker should have kept the streak or do you think streaks are main, meant to be broken? Uh, I'm, I'm both. I'm both ways. Uh, I think they should have kept it as part of my, my thinking. Um, but then again, the streaks are meant to be broken. And whom else are you going to beat the Undertaker with? I mean, you look at all the guys he's got that streak with. I mean, there's, there's, you know, I personally thought that Edge was going to do it that one year. I mean, I, you know, I felt like that was the right guy to give it to at that, to that point in time. And that didn't happen. Um, but I did not see Brock being the guy, although I agree with Brock being the guy, because can you name anybody else who you would do it with? That not, would be not, bigger in for, not, in four, not in 14 there. Obviously, we, we saw you know, WrestleMania 25 and 26 against Sean. We saw him against Triple H in twenty at twenty seven, with Sean as referee. But in fourteen, it's like okay, yeah. Not really, it does not unless you start bringing people back. Though that's a problem that you're going to run into. Is like okay, you don't have anybody currently there that could really do it outside of Lesnar. Right, right, and that's my so, point. I mean, yeah, you know, but you yeah. got to give when you you're booking this process, and you know, this could have been too where Taker says, you know what, I want to I want to end the streak and. I want to end it with him. Um, that could be something that Mark wanted to do on his own that no, nobody knows about. It may not have even been creative. It might have just been Mark, you know? Yeah, because remember in innuendo has it that he was actually politicking, not politicking, I guess, but he was talking about whether it be with Vince or any of the writers that, hey, I want Brock to be that guy. And then obviously later on, we saw Roman with him as well, uh, beat him at WrestleMania. But it's like how... I don't know. I, I guess it comes down to personal preference, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because it's you got, got to go out in your own terms, go out the way you want to. And right, I right. think, and I think he did that after his match there with AJ, which was, I thought was phenomenal. No, oh, yeah. I guess pun, pun, pun intended, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, another thing up too about uh, uh, Taker is that he was a huge fan of Brock Lesnar. He's a big MMA and fighting and wrestling guy. Sure. Um, huge into that. Um, and he's always been a big fan of Brock's. So I, I, I can't see, I, I could, I, I totally see this being a undertaker saying the reins I want to give to Brock Lesnar. Sure. Yeah. You know, so we'll get into this next, next segment here. The second count is this wasn't the first time in 14 here that we saw undertaker and Lesnar. We saw undertaker versus Brock Lesnar at unforgiven in 2002 uh, September 22nd to be exact from the Staples Center in LA, a match that you had the honor of refereeing uh, was the main event. Uh, if you go back and look at this card, Brian, holy crap. Was this, this card was, we can say stacked, but when you got, when you have to follow the likes of Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, 
before right before that your match you have yeah. to follow a triple h versus rvd title match from from raw which would have been the big gold at this time dude how how were you getting yourself ready for this type of this type of match being the main event before i think at this time i think it was like sixteen thousand people were in attendance yeah it was um it was one of those days that i was um in a fog and really just trying to get my thoughts together because i realized how big this moment was for me um because now this is a cross-branded uh pay-per-view with raw and smackdown and i'm strictly on smackdown so this is me in front of all my peers putting myself in a ring with the likes of The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar at the Staples Center in L.A. in a main event. Um, I was honored, privileged, but, man, I was so fucking nervous. Uh, so fucking nervous. Yeah, because the summer the summer of this year, the which uh, would have been August, uh, episode of SmackDown, Lesnar became exclusive to, to SmackDown, and then Undertaker would soon follow after that, but it goes back to the history of SmackDown. You saw it firsthand. You get the SmackDown five. Yeah. Just a laundry list of talent that was on that roster, on that brand for so many years. Were you, like I said, you, you said you were in a fog, but were you talking to Brock and or Taker leading up to this through like all the SmackDowns or was it basically a day, day of kind of thing with these guys? Well, no, we had worked out some stuff uh, on the on the road. Um, I knew I had this match um, for about a month. Um, it might have been a little less, but it felt like a month. Um, so I knew this coming in that I was going to be the referee, unless something changed, and that you know that that can't happen. Um, so knowing it helped a little bit. Um, I couldn't imagine getting there to the building and then that day just finding out, hey, you're the main event referee for Brock. Lesnar and The Undertaker. Um, so I did know leading up to we did go over some stuff uh, previously. Um, so I think that's why they also felt comfortable with me being the uh, referee. Now, another thing, you know, I was already doing a lot of Taker's and Brock's matches when they weren't working together already. So both of them were very comfortable with my abilities and me being in the ring with them as well. So that helped both of them feel good about it, too. So, yeah. So pretty much for the entire summer, most of the end of the summer anyways, in the beginning of the fall here in September, they were pretty much, you know, budding heads. Beat that yes. team, Lesnar and Undertaker. The build up to this event was just absolutely phenomenal. You don't like it. That's another thing. We, we talked about stuff we don't see very often nowadays. That build, that yeah. time to tell a story. You know, Lesnar's going after it, uh, Undertaker's then wife, Sarah, with her being pregnant, putting his hands on her stomach and just yep. really psychologically trying to get to the undertaker. Yes. Um, that what, what you touched on this earlier, but, uh, the production of these packages that WWE put together sometimes were just numbing, you know what I mean? Just, um, it, just incredible. and makes you just, especially when you're standing in the ring and they play that before your match it just becomes, it comes to all, like all of it comes to fruitation. You're like, holy shit, man, this is getting ready to go down. And you can just feel the buzz and the people as they're watching this. And then as that video shuts off, there's like this electric feeling. And then all of a sudden we go to our entrances and it's just, that's when it's just like surreal. And it's like, all right, here we go, big boy. 
Let's see what you got. You know? Yeah. So, and it's just, it's like those all, awing occasions where it's like, my, did you ever, when, when you're doing something like this, a field like this, did you ever just have time to step back and go like, holy shit, I'm doing a match with the undertaker and Brock Lesnar kind of thing. Or wasn't no, there really that much time to do that? No, it wasn't, man, because, you know, we're on the road the next day. And uh, now that I've, you know, have time to stop and look and listen. Um, yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, sometimes I can't believe I'll handle like how I handled the situation uh, when I go back and watch things. Uh, um, and I'm proud of that, you know, and I've, and I've just learned and it's just become that way for me, but my God. Yeah. No, you're so right. Um, it, it, it's tough when you're on the road so much, you just really don't have time to reflect because you're moving on to the next thing and the next story. And now I'm focusing on my next big thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, no pun intended with the next big thing, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, but I mean, it's, it's just so quick turnaround that you don't have time to like really just go back and think and, you know, and watch and admire what you did or didn't do. Right. So, we see like we mentioned the whole basically the end of the summer, beginning of the fall. Lesnar was running over literally everybody for the last probably six months. You know, we saw him run through The Rock at SummerSlam in 02. Uh, we saw him run through Hogan, which that was it's like holy crap, they're really pushing this guy to the to the moon, taking yeah. out these two big, big names. And it's like, okay, what's next? Okay, The Undertaker. Right. Did you see the earlier signs how big Lesnar could actually be? I did. Um, I actually was, um, it's really weird. Uh, Randy Orton, me and Brock Lesnar, um, were We rode together right out of OVW. Um, I was not in OVW, but I, I, it's another story down the road for another podcast, <laughs> but <laughs> I was in the car with these guys um, and I just knew he was just this huge dude, man, just this huge guy. Um, Very immature, um, but very, very nice, Um, but very, very, very immature and wasn't afraid of anything, Um, which is maybe why I was in the car. But but later on, that's another podcast. Uh, But no, I, I, I saw all the signs pointed to, big fucking star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he had, he had a certain look too. There's, there's certain people that can have a look, but know how to use it. Um, and he had a look and knew how to use it. He had an incredible body. Um, he was just a, just a huge, huge, gigantic, thick guy, you know? Um, he was, he, whatever he got in OVW, he got very well. Um, as far as the training that he received, because, he was a little green, but it wasn't green like I've seen when people come into, you know, WWE. So, yeah, all, all signs pointed to a, a, a megastar. Yeah. So, it comes full circle here. You know, you got this quote-unquote next big thing against, at this time, the American badass, The Undertaker. Did you see signs? You know, we see a lot of times Undertaker handpicking who he's working with obviously at this time it's like, okay, he's, you're getting the kid kind of thing. How, yeah. You think, did they really both really like enjoy or enjoy working with each other here in O2? No, they did. They did. Um, and I'll have to say too, the, the, these were some of the stiffest matches I worked and I, and I, and they did it on purpose. It wasn't like they were mad or didn't respect each other. 
they're both shooters, you know, and they both, they're, they're both into MMA and they're both into wrestling and fighting. Um, and that's the kind of matches they wanted to have. They wanted this to be a fight. Um, they didn't want a, a match where, you know, frog splashes and, um, you know, lucha stuff, or, you know, this was going to be a mat, like all, all things on the mat, um, physicality, striking ability, um, slams, things of that nature. Um, and it's what they got, you know, so that's what they wanted to do. And it's, it, it, like I said, these were some of the stiffest matches I've ever been uh, associated with. Yeah. And it's just like one of those, both of these guys, Lesnar and Undertaker for that matter, some of the best punches, just fists in the game, period. Yeah. You know, we know Lesnar's strength. Undertaker had to compliment him very, very close to it as far as the strength at, at this time. Yeah, he did. I mean, you're talking about those punches. Well, you know, some of those punches connected, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So they were thrown really crisp and really good. And, um, you know, it's part of the game and, and they, and they, you know, I'm not saying I've heard this or seen this, but they're, they might've gone in there and said, look, I'll apologize later, but we're going to fucking do this. And uh, it is going to be what it is, you know? And I wouldn't put that past either one of them because they're, they were both tough as fucking nails and um, weren't afraid to get hit and weren't afraid, afraid to be hit. So it, 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 I could see that happening. And it, it, that's what was so special to me as far as being in there is just knowing that, this could be very, very physical. <laughs> it's like, I got to be ready. Yeah. Well, that's honestly, that's what really any match you're going to see with Taker, let alone with, with anybody outside of Lesnar. Uh, but did they, we see you take a couple bumps here and whole, it's like, Oh man, that's just, it hurts me to it hurt me to watch. I'm like, Oh man, that's gotta hurt. How were they prepping you them being the undertaker and Lesnar? to take these bumps, you know, this way or that way, or, Hey, make sure you turn that way kind of thing. No, no. So, so on, we're talking about the, the match uh, in LA, correct? Correct. At the okay. Staples, I, yeah. Gotcha. I didn't know if we were talking in general um, on that day. Uh, I figured out and found out that undertaker was going to be the one that was going to bump me. Sure. Um, so I had thrown out a couple suggestions of what, could possibly work. Um, once I figured out the story behind the bump, I come up with an idea and I thought to myself, okay, and I can do something for him. So I went up to um, Undertaker and I said, well, look, so here's the deal. Here's a spot where when we go to the corner, you know how you do the no sell in the corner and come straight out and do a clothesline. He says, yeah. And I said, well, why don't I be behind Brock and have Brock duck? And then you clean my fucking clock with a clothesline. And I can, I can pretty much, if, if you hit me hard enough, I can do a, a back flip. And he says, he's good. He says, uh, are you challenging me to hit you hard? And I said, all I'm telling you is don't sing it, bring it. And I'll give you the flip of your fucking life. He goes, I'll see you in there. So <laughs> I ultimately fucked myself. Um, yeah. And became very, very nervous at this point. Um, but I knew he would do what he needed to do and, and it would be fine. And to this day, you know, I've taken many of the same bumps I'm describing where 
I get clothesline and a lot of guys call it an inside out. I, I, I don't know what I call it. I just go straight up over hill, head over heels and flip all the way around and land on my belly and face. Um, but I'll tell you, it was one of the biggest loops I ever remember. I just remember being really high. Um, and he, he, he did hit me, um, very hard. Um, and that's why I think it happened that way. Uh, but yeah, I, I, in a way I challenged him to, to fuck me up. <laughs> so, <laughs> But in that aspect, is there really a certain way that you can take something like that? Or you're just a bump in general uh, as, well, as being a referee. Well, that certain bump, if the guy legitimately doesn't hit you hard enough and you're expecting to do a flip, you're going to land on your head. Right. Um, so, and I've had that happen as well, where the guy spiked me and didn't go across me. Right. Um, I know it's hard to visualize for the people listening at home, but, you know, if you just did a flat, flat clothesline just straight through, and didn't move your arm, that's the one that you want to take to do that flip. Well, if you come down and spike someone like a, like say a JBL quarter, uh, right. line, that's going to kill me expecting to do a backflip because I don't have enough room to do it. So no, there is a certain way that for that particular bump, but if, if he just said, I just want to clothesline you, he would probably just do the, the JBL, just take my head off and I take a, a bump of sorts, you know? Right. So, right. So this match ended up being a double DQ uh final so there was really no there was no winner lesnar kept kept the title uh did you know that it was definitely gonna be the double dq beforehand or did you you know it was that something that it kind of called an audible in the ring said hey we're gonna do a double dq so nobody really loses loses momentum no no, i knew i knew um and i actually thought on that night that 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 would be the night taker would win that belt um, and I actually sat down and talked with Taker about what was going on because I thought, you know, we, we were friends, we were real good friends. And I just was wondering like, man, when do you get this title and run with it? You know? And, um, the way that he's been looked at for a while on that brand, um, he was more of the attraction. So he wasn't on the road with us on every single house show, but he did a lot. Don't get me wrong. Um, but he was more of an attraction. So not an everyday guy. And if you remember how SmackDown was at that point in time, it was more like the breeding ground um, to, to, to feed into raw, mm-hmm. but you had to have your stars also on SmackDown to, to draw people. You know, that's what this business is about is drawing asses and seats. So that was Taker's main job was to bring asses and seats, which he did so very well. And who wouldn't pay to see Undertaker? Um, so he didn't necessarily need the belt. He didn't need the belt to get him over because he was already over. He didn't need to get the belt to put asses in seats. He was already doing that without the title. He knew that was his role and he was fine with that. Um, they needed to put the belt on guys like Brock Lester to, to give him that push, to give him that extra feel, to give him what he actually deserved. Um, and, and him not losing to Undertaker only does what to him? It elevates him and shows that he is that powerhouse. So excuse me so that just shows you you don't need a title to be quote unquote the man um and taker was without a doubt the fucking man and he didn't need that belt to be that Mm. you know we mentioned him going to the hall of fame is this his feud here with brock here in 02 this feud later on that would uh ultimately you know caught not Stop the stop the streak at WrestleMania. Do you think Lesnar is Undertaker's best feud? 
in his career, his long career? Man, that's, that's tough. Um, I would say it's the most physical and, uh, man, that's tough, but I would say it has to be up there if it's not. Um, I can think of some other ones that were really good too, but, uh, you know, him and Kane were, were awesome too, you know what I mean? But, you know, it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite the same with Brock and him. So without beating around the bush, I, I, I would, I, I would assume in my mind, top five for sure. If not, maybe one of the better ones. Yes. Going into the hall of fame, like we mentioned, what do you see the undertaker's legacy being in this business? Um, I would say one of the best big men of all time, one of the best gimmicks of all time, one of the most respected wrestlers of all time, and one of the best leaders of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't give enough credit to his out-of-ring um, things he did as, as far as being a friend, as far as being a leader, um, a coach. Um, just a phenomenal human being that you can't replace. Um, and if you do, God bless you. Um, because I'd like to meet that guy. Mm-hmm. What did you personally take away out of this match here with Lesnar and, and Taker for you, whether it be you going forward or just you with, with these two individuals? It gave me a lot of pride um, because I was able to do what some thought I couldn't do or shouldn't do. Um, it showed that I could be a main event referee and be with the two biggest stars at that point in time. Um, you know, I was proud. I mean, and, that, and I would say that was one of those moments where you, you realize as an individual, you say, you know what, I can do this shit at a high level and I can do it well. Um, so it was a very proud moment. Um, I was just proud to get through it because that's what it was all about at that time for me. It was just getting through it. Um, and it went so fast. It went so fast. In other words, the, the match just went so fast. And we had so much time, and it just went so fast. And at first, I just never thought we'd get through it. And all of a sudden, we're at four minutes. And it's like, holy shit, here I go. I'm going to get my head fucking knocked off. You know what I mean? And just, uh, yeah. It was just great. I mean, it was great. I was so, so very proud to be part of it. And um, I, I, I thank those guys, too, because I couldn't have done it without them. And to give me the confidence and to give me, you know, the, the honor to do something that big. Um, so it was a, it was a very, very strong point in my life as far as my career went. It's listener questions. All right. Thanks for that, Rich. Uh, first question comes from a guy that answered or asked a question last week, Devin Dowling. He asked, has Undertaker ever commented on your work post WWE, uh, whether it be TNA or, uh, impact or NWA, have you stayed in touch with him over the years? I, I stayed in touch with him for, for quite a few months after, um, after I left WWE. Um, but no, not, not really. Um, I don't think our conversation would ever be that way when we talk. I don't think it'd be about his career or my career at that point in time. I think it'd be about just catching up as buddies. Sure. Um, but no, I, no, he has not. No. Yeah. So we mentioned previous that Undertaker was that back or that uh, backstage leader. Uh, it's kind of incorporating this next question from Sammy Evans. He says, all of the new talent, who do you think has that it factor like The Undertaker did? 
WWE. WWE, Impact, NWA. Leave it open to uh, really. You mean to be like, be like another Undertaker leader in the locker sure, room? Sure, sure. Correct, correct. Um, well, you know, you got to say someone like um, Roman Reigns is probably that guy in WWE, if I was to guess, because I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I know for a fact that someone like AJ Styles, who was that and, and, and at TNA, um, and as far as now, uh, right, right now in the present, I would say, you know, a guy like a, a, a Josh Alexander for us is a, is a huge locker room leader. Um, so, I mean, you know, those, those are three that come right to my mind right away. Um, AJ Styles was a phenomenal locker room guy as well. Um, but, so I could definitely see him taking that role on, but I know he hasn't been there with that long, that long tenure. So I would probably say somebody like Roman Reigns in WWE, in my opinion, but I don't know that to be factual. Sure. 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 Yeah. Josh Alexander. I've seen a lot of his work before he got signed there with impact uh, a little while. He is a, he's a beast, man. I saw a lot of his work up in Canada when he was working yeah. up the Indies up there. And I'm like, man, he is one of those guys where you kind of strap the rocket to him and go to the moon with that guy. No doubt. I mean, he, he uh, he's another very good technical wrestler and he can, uh, he's a Kurt English kind of guy, man. Um, and that's not a bad thing. No, <laughs> Look at no. what but he's kind of like the hybrid. He's like the, the, uh, like what angle was there in the late to late nineties, two thousands kind of yeah. updated. It's like two Kurt angle 2.0. There you go. That, that's it. <laughs> that's it. All right. So, uh, Nick, uh, Haddix after our next question, he says, how old he mentioned, uh, in here in 2000, but how old you were when you first met the undertaker and does he, and do you remember any of the reactions when you first met him? Of, of taker well what i remember is coming to the building and um i was there before he was and i remember when he walked in and i don't think at that point in time as a kid i seen anybody that damn big mm -hmm. uh and i knew obviously who he was and i was like dad dad can you let me meet the undertaker and um i just remember him leaning all the way down and giving me that hand and he had this huge paw and my dad obviously told him who it was and my name and he was like very nice to meet you if you're anything like your dad you might have a nice future uh so i was just like wow and like my face and shirt got red as shit and uh yeah i, I believe i was probably man i, I don't even know I, i'm terrible at age i don't have any idea i don't even know how old i am now uh, so i'm not sure man i, I know i was a little kid you know that a little skinny little nothing kid i uh, just don't remember how old i was i'd say anywhere from the range of uh 10 to 12, something like that, maybe. So then that, that would have probably been uh, probably his first incarnation there as the Undertaker then, right? Yes, yes. It was, yeah, yeah very much so. Yeah, yeah, because that was that was one of my favorite versions of the Undertaker, just that original dead man that you look at him and it just scares the crap out of you. Yeah. He's just look, Yeah, looking at it as a 10, 12 year, 10 to 12-year-old, it's like, holy crap, that's, he's, like the, he's like the boogeyman kind of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Uh, so our next question comes from my second favorite 10 year old Caden Haddock. So it was, this is Nick's son. He's 10 years old, big wrestling fan. Okay. And he wants to know uh, what your favorite undertaker match is. Oh, uh, I would say that Brock Lesnar match is hard to, to say, isn't, um, 
I do remember though, I do remember having a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And when I say a lot of fun, because this is how uh, me and Undertaker actually came up with a heat spot. And if you don't know what a heat spot, it's where it's a spot where the match gets turned around to where the heel, the bad guy, turns the match around and gets the steam on the other guy. So we would do a spot with me, him, and Kurt. And we couldn't figure out how to get into that heat spot. And finally, we just came out of nowhere and we just started doing it all the time. And it would be where he'd get in the corner and he'd start pounding on somebody. And I would go to count and he would just stop and look and look at me like, don't fucking count me. Um, And it would give me those eyes. And I would run out of the ring and he would chase me. And I would take a bump onto the floor because it wasn't like a ref bump. It was just I got through the rope so fast that I hit the floor that I just fell. And I would keep my back to him. And as my back was to him, that's when they would get on him and get the heat. Mm-hmm. So that was that was pretty cool, too. So I would say Kurt Angle and him and uh, that Brock match, too, as well. So those are the ones that I think most. Yeah, because he seemed to work a lot best with guys that were a uh, little more on the stiff side. Because then yeah. you really lay it in like a, with a Brock or uh, you mentioned Kurt. We could even go back to with like Kane. It's like, holy crap, you see a lot of these WrestleMania matches now. It's like everybody wants to make fun of that King Kong Bundy match there from WrestleMania 11. It's like, yeah, yeah. dude, those are two hosses really taking them to the woodshed. Yeah. But, and I will say, too, that Kane and um, Undertaker match was, was a memorable moment, too. That was an awesome feeling, too. The interest is on that and the way they, they put that package together. That was unreal. You talking the one at uh, 20? Yes. Yeah. Because that, that was- that's, an- that's another one. When you get, no, I want to comment on that too. Is you get to an arena like a Staples Center, you get to an arena like um, like Madison Square Garden or the Rosemont in Chicago, just those historic venues. Buildings. Yeah, it's just like, were you ever like awestruck by a building like that, or was it just like, okay, well, here we're here, you know, let's go? I tell you what, the the, the one story I do have on some buildings, man. It, this this is going to be crazy, but um probably makes some people mad, but, but oh, well, I have my opinions. Um, all I heard about my whole life until it happened was MSG, Madison Square Garden, Madison Square Garden. Well, finally a show came up and we were going to Madison Square Garden for my very first time. And I was like, oh gosh, hell yeah. Finally. Now I was still on ring crew as well. So I was a referee and a ring crew. And I got to that building and I couldn't believe what a shithole it was. I mean, the docks, the way they did things, the, 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 the age of the building. But then when all of it was set up and everything was ready to go and those people filled in, I kind of got what people were saying then. You know what I mean? Because that's where the nostalgia kicked in. But the overall building is not like it's pretty or, or put you in awe. I just figured and thought in my mind, because, you, you know, I'd only seen it on TV when it was all together with people in it and stuff like that. And, but when I looked at it, with nothing and just putting it together. I was like, man, this, this is a shithole. So I was a little disappointed with that. But then of course, once the events that happened and all the people filled in and all, everything was set up, I, I, I got it. And I could get and feel the magic. Then. So that was kind of a weird story. As far as the building goes, that was pretty wild, but I've seen some ones that were unbelievable. So, but yeah, that was just one I just wanted to say, cause everybody would relate to that. Cause everybody knows that Madison square gardens is like the, the, the Mecca, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. All right. So that kind of ties into the next one. We talking about Taker working with Lesnar and Angle, a lot of those stiffer wrestlers. 
one of those guys that he had the opportunity to really work with quite a bit when you're up over there on SmackDown was Randy Orton. Yeah. Uh, David Hogan wants to know is how did the undertaker and Orton get along back then um, with the stories about uh, or, or the RKO from back then and the dynamic between the two is like very, very fascinating. They got along great, man. Um, it was very rare to find somebody that undertaker didn't really get rid of, like, like get along with. Um, but, you know, and I'm not saying he loved everybody, but I'm just saying they, 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 they were fine. Um, Undertaker was more, more or less, in, in my opinion, more like a, a babysitter for him in his younger career, in Randy's career, um, meaning would, would mentor him and monitor him. Um, but no, there was, they, were, they, 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 were, they were doing good business together. They, they got along fine. And if there's anything that I didn't know about, it was never seen. It was never shown. Um, no, those guys got along good. The programs that they did were awesome, uh, both willing to do whatever it took to, 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 to go, you know, move and elevate. Um, so no, they, they got along great. They got along great. You know, you've seen Norton being as in the business a very long time, as long as he has for a better part of 20 plus years, you think he probably, he probably had to learn some stuff from the undertaker there about taking care of himself. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, undertaker would talk to everybody about longevity. It was about whether you believe it and want to do it or not, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, there's a reason why takers around there. There's a reason why Randy's over there still doing this thing. Um, there's secrets, you know what I mean? To, to doing that and keeping your body right and um, learning when to take some bad bumps and not to take bumps and all that kind of thing. It just all incorporates together and no one better to learn from than Undertaker. And that's, that's 100% correct. Sure. You know, another thing that we, uh, we learned about the Undertaker, us as fans, or obviously you as uh, being working with him is uh, straight. The first place to his heart is, uh, or the best, quickest place to his heart is a bottle of Jack Daniels. Uh, Josh, Josh Rosenbaum wants to know if you have uh, any good or best of the Jack Daniels nights. No, I, I I just, I I don't like to indulge in people's personal lives. Um, I'll tell you, he, he, he did like his Jack Daniels. Um, he liked it a lot. Um, when you know we did a wrestler's court, sometimes that was the punishment was uh, getting him a bottle. Um, but no, I don't. I, he liked to have a good time when it was time to be had. Um, I do remember losing a bet and being forced to not forced because that's not the correct word. I lost the bet, so I had to do it. Um, but you know, having to take some shots with him, and I'm not a shot drinker at all. Um, I'm a beer drinker. So drinking something like that actually sucks for me. So, you know, that I really thought I was going to win that bet. So, but no, he, he, I don't have really any stories that I would want to indulge in like, like his private stuff, but I mean, very good question. I wish I could be more open and honest about that, but it's not something I feel like I, I want somebody to do to me either. So, you know what I mean? But, but yeah, yeah he, liked a good time. he was nothing crazy, but he just liked to have a good time. And he, he did like his Jack Daniels and, Good, good, good brothers like that stuff. <laughs> sure. So, so our last question for the, uh, for this episode comes to us from Frank Bruno. And he says, he was curious if you have, uh, if you ever tried to get Taker to break character, uh, you know, it's always that adage. Nobody was able to have him break character. You know, Vince came close a couple of times. Uh, were you ever successful if you had the opportunity? Man, I tried. 
I tried so hard. Um, I would get dared to try from different people that they thought would pop him and break him. And um, my problem with trying was I could try, but I could only get one up to one try because after that, he would just tell me basically fuck off. And that just meant stop. Like you're done. You know what I mean? So I believe I could have got him. I do. I believe I've, I could have got him if, if I had enough balls to not fuck off when told so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just took, you know, what he said and that was it. So I believe I could have tried. Um, I saw JBL on one occasion get him. Uh, I'll say that. It wasn't a good get him, but it, it got him and it made me pop. Um, but it, it is very hard to get that guy. I know Booker T tried. Booker, <laughs> man, Booker tried. He got all of us and didn't get him. <laughs> but uh, it was awesome. But that, that was a great game to try and play. It was, you know, just everyone always trying to make him break his character. And that's how good he was, man. Oh, come on. I think I think one of my favorite ones, too, as you see it online, is when Kurt Angle uh, kissed him on the, in the on the mouth or something and he oh, ran yeah. away. Yeah, the, wasn't that after a show and it was recorded? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was an overseas, uh, overseas show. Yes, yes, I remember that. And yeah. I think he, he he might have talked about that on his show. <laughs> well, see, because nothing nothing could get him unless you physically did it. And Kurt's like, "Shit, I don't care. I'm gonna get him." You know what I mean? And they had a great relationship too. So Kurt had you know the ability to be able to do that. I mean, many of those guys in the locker room could come up to Undertaker and give him a kiss. I can promise you that. Sure. Um, I, I would have done it if dared, but I mean, I, but the thing is. Once, a, once once again, when he tells Brian Hebner to fuck off, Brian Hebner's gonna fuck off. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't really don't you don't really don't want to second guess that, right? I do not, and I don't want to find <laughs> out what happens. No. Uh, you know, so that's gonna be our list of questions for the night, and uh, I just want to get one last comment in, uh, Brian. Uh, did you to end kind of a good note and a positive note? You have any good last taker stories before we we close shop for the night? Um, I do. I do have one. Um, I want to say to everyone that Taker, Mark, whatever you want to call him, probably saved my career. Um, I'm going to give you a story, and this is pretty interesting, but some of you will know this, some of you won't. But there was a, a little gimmick that the WWE had me doing for a while. Uh, anyway, I was beatboxing, and I'm not going to get into the beatboxing thing because I think that's later another podcast that you guys would enjoy to hear. But this is about Undertaker, so this has to do with The Undertaker. So I'm doing my gimmick with the beatbox thing, and it's really, really getting over with the fans, with the backstage, with John Cena, uh, with Stephanie McMahon at the time. Um, really, really getting over. And management came to me one day and said, we would like you to hang up the stripes for a little bit, and we would like you to be the manager and the entrance guy for John Cena. So he comes down with no music. It's just you, him. So we have a white boy rapping. We have a white boy making music. What better way to get heat than that? And we think you'd be awesome. Now, when I'm hearing this, I'm very, very excited because I'm seeing a couple of different things, which Undertaker will tell you in a minute why the things I was seeing was absolutely fucking stupid so i go to him and tell him i was like take her take her like really excited you have to understand let me just explain to you what was offered to me so i give him the offer lay it out there and i'm like there's gonna be more more money for me it's gonna make me a bigger star 
Um, this is going to be a huge, huge option for me and give me just all kinds of things. And, da, da, da. and he says, do me a favor. I said, that, what's, what's that? He goes, shut the fuck up for a minute. I said, yes, sir. And he says, you know what I feel about longevity? And I said, I do, sir. I do. He says, that stripes that you wear are what you do at the best. That's what's going to keep you in the game the longest, because I'm going to ask you one question. When this John Cena gimmick goes up, because it's going to go up, because everything has a time. When that thing goes up, what happens to you? And I said, I don't know. I would just become a referee again. He goes, you think it's that easy? Go ask Danny Davis. And I said, okay, I understand. I get it. He goes, go put your fucking referee shirt on. Get out of here. And I was uh, floored. And hindsight's 2020, as most people think and say. And I'll tell you right now, he would have probably been very, very right. He would have been very, very right. And I'd have probably been stuck probably doing no idea in the wrestling business. Yeah, because we saw that that, that took off, yeah. That's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, because we saw there that that uh, that only lasted so long. That's right. Yeah, so that'd have been me. Yeah. So thank right. you, Taker. Thank you. Well, maybe we could see that in uh, Impact. Maybe we have to talk to uh, the powers to be over that Impact uh, Wrestling to uh, hey, we get some beatboxing there with uh, well, somebody out there. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've had guys come up to me there. They want to do something. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's a it's great, man. It's great entertainment, but it is what it is. Sure. So uh, before we get to the uh, closeout with the final bell here next week, I'm glad you, we brought up Kurt Angle. He is going to be the center point of our show next week. So we had the, uh, we have the honor of doing a show on him. We were actually going to be going over the match that you were a part of, or one of them that you were a part of with him at uh, WrestleMania 21 with him and Shawn Michaels. Yes. Um... So that is, that's, going to be a good one that so you guys aren't going to want to miss next week's either not that you want to miss any week of roughing it up here with brian hebner so you got to have some good ones with from kurt and sean right yeah man um that 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 was that was something um that is on the uh top 10 uh for sure of my career um i'll just say without getting involved um very very intense emotional um not quite sure if all parties agreed uh, with the, 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 the happenings. So it's going to be interesting storytelling, interesting storytelling. And I, I can't wait to indulge in that and dive in there for everybody. Uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. All right. Well, that being said, appreciate everybody listening this week. What are, uh, what do you got coming up uh, next few weeks here? I know we mentioned rebellion coming up uh, the end of next month. You got any, anything new coming up as far as appearances or, uh, uh, other impact shows? Well, the, uh, we have the Poughkeepsie New York show, uh, coming up, uh, very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the dates. I apologize. I'm just, I'm very bad at that. I kind of wait till the dates come hit me in the face and then I'm like, Oh crap, here we go. Um, so I, I'm not quite sure of the dates. You might know them. I think cause you're going to the show as well, right? Yep. They are the, where am I? I lost it already. The 23rd of April in Poughkeepsie. And then you said you probably were doing uh, tapings a day after as well. Correct. Yes. Yes. So the 23rd and 24th. Okay, cool. Um, and then um, I'm working on some stuff now, a couple uh, events uh, for appearances. 
and seminars. Once I get those things nailed down and uh, I'll let you guys know that obviously. Um, but other than that, no, the only thing left I want to say is if, uh, if you could please give my uh, podcast a follow at Reffing It Up. Um, and anything else you want me to put out there for us? No, it's Reffing It Up across Instagram and, and Twitter there. And then you're at Baby Hepner, right? Yes, on both Instagram and Twitter. There you go. Keep an eye out. Definitely. Hopefully we'll have some new stuff coming out. Keep up to date with everything. Go across all your major podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, all that good stuff. We're also on uh, the Ranters Nation Network. That just came out today, as well as Wrestling With Johnners. So check those two great sites out and uh, networks. And uh, we'll see you next week right here on Reffing It Up with Brian Hebner. One, two, three.